0: Well, as we continue in worship and about to go to God's Word, we find ourselves as a community in this new season, and yet January is come and gone. And with January, likely some of our goals, I don't know about you, but maybe some of our New Year's resolutions kind of stayed in January. But I'm so proud of us as a church. Why? Because we've stuck with it. Like, we continue as a church to discover our shape. And you know, when I'm talking about shape, I'm not talking about physical fitness. I'm talking about our spiritual shape. You know, Pastor, uh, you know the pastors at Saddleback, Pastors Eric Rees and Rick Warren, they've developed this idea of shape. It's an acronym, it stands for Spiritual Gifts, Our Heart our abilities, our personality, and our experiences, and that all of these things make us up as human beings. This is, what, this is our makeup, this is our shape, and that we are each shaped by God in unique ways, on purpose, and for purpose. That none of us can look at each other and say, you know what, I don't need you, or that I'm not needed. No, we are all needed as the body of Christ to fit together so that we can accomplish the purposes of God. That's what we've been exploring over the last number of weeks. And if you're just now joining us, welcome. I'm so glad you're here. I'm so glad you're in this specific sermon because we're going to be exploring our experiences today. The good, the bad, and the ugly. And we're going to be asking this question, God, how can you use all of my experiences, the good, the bad, and the ugly, how can you use them For your good purposes. Your good purposes. And so that's what we're gonna be doing today. We're gonna be going to scripture to discover a little bit more. Specifically, we're gonna be looking at Romans, the book of Romans, chapter 8, verses 18 through 28. Now, as we go to God's word, remember this question God, how can you use my experiences, the good, the bad, and the ugly, to be used? by you for your good purposes? That's the question for today. So as we go to Scripture, I want to encourage you right now, you can read along with me. Read it out loud wherever you are. Read it out loud with me. And at the end of it, I'm going to say, this is the reading of God's Word. And if you believe it to be true, respond by saying, thanks be to God. Here we are, Romans chapter 8, verses 18 through 28. in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to decay and will obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning in labor pains until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly while we wait for adoption, the redemption of our bodies. For in hope, we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what is seen? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know how to pray as we ought, but that very Spirit intercedes with sighs too deep for words. And God, who searches the heart, knows what is the mind of the Spirit, and because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. We know that all things work together for good for those who love God, who are called according to His purpose. This is the reading of God's Word. Thanks be to God. You know, it's interesting, as I reflect on this passage and and on my life, I am struck by how many of my experiences have formed me. You know, all the experiences of my life have formed me to this point, to this moment in my life. It's, It's shaped me. It's shaped the way in which I lead. It's shaped the way in which I love. It's shaped the way in which I've viewed myself, the way in which I view others, the way in which I view God. All of these things are shaped largely by my experiences, and many of which are outside of my control. There's this uh, story in my life of when I was 13 years old, okay? So I'm 13 years old. Picture me as a 13-year-old, scrawny kid, okay? And uh, I'm a a 13-year-old playing soccer. Now, as an athlete, I was the captain of my soccer team. It was a traveling soccer team. And yet there was this one summer in my 13th year of life where I grew four inches in one summer. Think about that. Think about what happens to your body when you grow four inches in like less than three months. It was insane. In fact, it was insane. I I was, you know, just four inches before I could juggle. I I could do side volleys. I could even do like the, the bicycle scissor kick, you know. I could do all these things just four inches ago. But now four inches later, I can hardly dribble. My body does, does not do what my mind is telling me to, to do. Like my mind says, do this. And my body's like, nope, not going to do it. And there was this one specific weekend. It's a hot weekend. I'm out. You know, my parents are with me. We're out in the soccer tournament out in nowhere. And it was a, it was a super frustrating game. Uh, I had a terrible game. My teammates were frustrated with me, but not nearly. Nearly not nearly as frustrated as I was with myself. My body just wouldn't do the things that I needed it to do, and it was falling apart. And I was so frustrated, and this is a bit embarrassing, but you know, as a teenager, I find myself in my parents' car, and I'm crying. I've just lost it. I'm so frustrated. And it was this this Frustration was starting to impact the way in which I view myself until my coach shows up. My coach, his name is Don Karpieski. And Don showed up to the car and he knocks on the window and he asked to sit in the car with me. And so he sits in the car and he looks at me and he goes, Mike, I know you're frustrated. I know it's frustrating for you to grow so fast, but it's not always going to be like this. And he reminded me that, Mike, you are my best player on the team. You are the captain of this team. And when this passes, you're going to be better for it. And that was just such a loving thing to say. In that moment, entering into that with me, he offers me hope. And so what does Don do? He trains me as a backup goalkeeper. I'm just like, just, you know, have you seen those uh, at, at uh, car dealerships, right? You see those, those things that like, kind of do this floppy, you know, at the car dealership. Like, that's how I felt as a human being, as a 13 year old. And yet he's training me to be a backup goalkeeper. He keeps me on the team. I'm still, you know, the, the captain of the team. At 13 years old, I stay with that team until I age out of youth soccer. I was dedicated. To, to that team, I was committed to Don because Don gave me hope. And Don, I don't know if you're watching this, but I want to say thank you. <clears throat> thank you for entering into that moment with me. It, it has shaped me as a person, it has shaped me as a leader, it has shaped the way in which I view myself and the way in which I view others. You don't know, it's, it's shaped the way in which I view God. Like, that was a significant moment for me. Have you ever had the space, have you ever taken the time to reflect on the experiences of your life? To look at your life and to wonder, how have these experiences shaped me? The way in which I love, the way in which I view myself, view others, view God. Your experiences shape you. And if we let God take the fullness of our experiences, the good, the bad and the ugly. If we allow God, if we place those, those experiences in the hands of Jesus and we let him do it, he, those experiences not only form us, but they help offer hope to those in need. All of our experiences, the highs and the lows, if we let God do it, not only form us, but they help offer hope to those in need. And so we're going to be looking at that today. We're going to be looking at the fullness of our experiences, the good, the bad, and the ugly. And to do that, we're going to be actually looking at a specific character in Scripture and his life. We know him as the Apostle Paul, and many of us might be familiar with the Apostle Paul's story, but I want us to hear it once again in a fresh way, in a fresh way. So we're going to be Looking at the Apostle Paul and the good, the bad, and the ugly of his life, and often as we look at the Apostle Paul, we are reminded oftentimes about the good, right? I mean, there's a lot of good that came out of the Apostle Paul's life. Like, we love to celebrate as the church the Apostle Paul. We celebrate his missionary journeys. We celebrate the way in which he encourages churches through his letters. We celebrate the ways, the, the, the far reaching uh, you know, scope of his of evangelistic um, ministry. Like, we celebrate Paul. Because we like to celebrate the good, don't we? I mean, as a, as a culture, we do this, right? We, we post about the good. We Instagram about the good. Like, we, we celebrate the weddings. We celebrate the birth announcements. We celebrate the, the promotions. We celebrate the good in life. And yet, for the Apostle Paul, um, he wasn't always known this way. <laughs> yes. He has a lot of good in his life, but he wasn't always known in that light of the good that, that came out of his life. You know, um, the Apostle Paul often is preached in the church as the church's greatest hero, but he wasn't always our hero. In fact, he was most well known to the early church as Saul, and he was the church's worst enemy. See, Paul was also known by the name of Saul. Apparently, according to Acts, those two names were interchangeable, I guess. Sometimes he would go by Saul. Sometimes he would go by Paul. But Saul was famous for threatening and murdering those who follow Jesus. Let me say that again. Threatening and murdering those who follow Jesus. That is how Saul, who we know to be Paul, was best known for by the early church. We learn this in Acts chapter 9. We're going to go there, Acts chapter 9, uh, verses 1 through 6. This is uh, the Apostle Paul threatening and murdering. He would go around terrorizing the early church. Meanwhile, Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus so that... If he found any who belonged to the way—that's what we would now know as uh, Christianity—the way, men or women, that he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Now, as he, Saul, was going along and approaching Damascus, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, "'Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me?' He asked, "'Who are you, Lord?' The reply came, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. Let's stop here and I want to set the scene. Okay, so you have Paul who's on this road to Damascus and he's literally hunting Christians when he's met by Jesus. Okay, so he's on this way to persecute the church and he's blindsided by this unexpected encounter with Jesus and it changes his life forever. I wonder, can you recall, this is interesting, can you recall the first time that you ever had an encounter with Jesus? When was the last time you considered that? Now, it might have been different, right? It might not have been a Paul encounter. It might not have been on the road where you, you know, have this bright light shining from heaven on you where you're blinded. Like, that's not, Paul's experience is unique to Paul. It, it is descriptive. It's not prescriptive. It's not like everyone has to have the same experience with Jesus. None of us have the same experience, but if you have faith in Jesus, you have an experience with Jesus. Jesus has spoken to you. He's communicated to you in some way. Do you remember it? Do you remember the first time that you encountered hope? Remember. Remember where you were met with hope. I I want you to notice something in Paul's experience. That often gets overlooked. Let's go back to Acts 9. And we're gonna look at starting in verse 4. It says, He, being Saul, fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? And he asked, Who are you, Lord? And the reply came, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But look at verse 6. This is Jesus saying to Paul, But get up and enter the city and you will be told what to do. Let's stop there for a second. I I think this is so odd that that Paul encounters Jesus. Jesus reveals himself to Paul, but then says, I'm not going to finish it. I just want you to go, you know, go into the city and there you're going to find out what to do. Like, I find that so odd. Why didn't Jesus just tell Paul what to do in the moment? Why send him off without full information, about who Jesus is and what Jesus was wanting to do in his life. He says, I'm Jesus, the the one you're persecuting, but I want you to go into the city, and there you're going to learn what to do. So let's go there. Acts chapter 9, let's jump down to verse 10, and let's find out, like, why did Jesus do this? Verse 10, now there was a disciple in Damascus. His name was Ananias. And the Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias. And he answered, Here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, Get up and go to the street called Straight. And at the house of Judas, look for a man of Tarsus named Saul. At this moment, he is praying. And he has seen a vision of a man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him so that he might regain his sight. But Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much evil he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And here uh, he has authority from the chief priests to bind all who invoke your name. But the Lord said to him, go. Let's stop there. See, Paul, known for persecuting the church, is now in a house in the very city that he was going to, to terrorize. Think about that. There's no wonder that Paul in this moment is praying. Like, I imagine Paul in this moment thinking to himself, like, wait, hold on, I just saw Jesus. I just saw Jesus whom I saw crucified. And now I'm blind. I'm pretty sure this isn't going to end well. Like, if you were Paul, that's what you'd be thinking, right? You'd be like, oh my gosh, I'm in some stranger's house. I just saw Jesus. I'm coming here to terrorize. This isn't going to end well. I think it's safe to say that Paul's experience up to this point hasn't been very good. Paul's afraid. The terrorist is now terrified, And Jesus, rather than meeting Paul a second time, right, he could have just shown up to Paul a second time and and laid it all out for Paul and just kind of eased Paul's mind. No, what does Jesus do? He meets with a man named Ananias. Ananias is one of Jesus' disciples, right? So we know this is the kind of person that Paul seeks to harm. Ananias is Paul's prey. And yet Paul's pray becomes Paul's answer to prayer. We see this in, verse nine, in chapter 9, verse 17. It says, but the Lord said to him, go. Lord's speaking to uh, Ananias. And so Ananias went and entered the house. And he lays his hands on Saul and said, brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on your way here, has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from, fell from his eyes and his sight was restored. And then he got up and was baptized. Do you see it? Do you see it? Jesus chooses to use Ananias to carry hope. But Ananias had to be willing I mean, the first thing where Jesus is like, I want you to go. Ananias is like, wait a minute, hold on, who are you talking about? Do you know who you're talking about, Jesus? Like, do I really need to go? Ananias had to be willing. He had to be willing to be used by Jesus to carry hope. He'd allow Jesus to help overcome his hang ups so that he could serve and carry out Jesus' purposes. I want you to see this. This is not just a story about Paul's experience or Paul's encounter with Jesus. This is also a story about Ananias' experience. And Ananias' encounter with Jesus, it's two men having a significant encounter, a significant experience that changes their life forever. It's their experience of Jesus that transforms their hurts, their habits, and their hang-ups to be used so that they might become champions of hope. Champions of hope. I want to share with you a story of a friend of mine who was a champion of hope. His name was Brett Lewis. See, Brett um, was a sports news anchor, here in Los Angeles for many years, 16 years in fact, with uh, KFWB radio, and he was the co-host of, of CBS Two's uh, Sports Central. I mean, and this was like in prime time sports back in the day. Like Brett was the guy when you went to look to sports in Los Angeles. And Brett, upon retirement, met with uh, an Orange County reporter, and the Orange County Register did an article on Brett Lewis titled, Radio, Recovery, and Retirement. And I want to read this article to tell you a little bit about Brett's story. This was written back in July uh, of 2013. The reporter says, it's helping others that will define what's next for Brett Lewis. See, Brett says this, I'm a functional alcoholic, though I was A classic born-again believer back in 1972, I didn't quit drinking. I could still work, and I thought I was under control. I took a year off from drinking. I always stopped so that I could go to bed by 8 PM, since I knew I had to work the next day. But I needed something to get off that treadmill. It was impeding my emotional growth. One Saturday morning, Lewis experienced what he believes was a divinely inspired message that his faith would go no deeper unless he quit drinking. Brett's quoted saying that day, June 3rd, 2006, I went to an AA meeting that very night. And he's taken his experience and augmented his work with Celebrate Recovery ministry at his church, which is Bel Air Church. Brett was a member of our church, leading Celebrate Recovery for many years. And Brett says this, addiction isolates us. We need to move past the isolation and deal with the addiction. And in my case, my real battle at the root of my addiction was self-worth. I was driving myself too hard to excel at broadcasting and what I do at church. His zeal, it says, uh, the the author of this says, his zeal for his work with Celebrate Recovery is obvious. Brett's quoted saying, some of the most exciting things are the tools I found in 12 Steps. You hear how important it is to forgive and be forgiven. Steps four through nine of the 12 steps teaches you how to do it. And already on Brett's schedule allowed him to meet with others throughout Southern California. And Brett says, since I was available during the day, I could travel to Riverside. I could travel to Chico all over and meet with people. See, recovery is not just about reading a book. It has to involve one-on-one training, but more importantly, one-on-one relationships. Some call this discipleship. We're called to build community, but we can't do this without restoring relationships. I love that this is a legacy of Brett Lewis. See, Brett passed away on August 28th of 2022. But Brett leaves an incredible legacy where he's able to look at the experiences of his life, the good, the bad, and the ugly. And he says, God, how can you use the fullness of my experiences to be used for your good purposes? That's the legacy of Brett Lewis. Brett, in order for him to champion hope, he first had to have an encounter with Jesus Christ. And second, he had to be able to receive the help that Jesus sent to him, that help that comes from relationships with other people. So if you've identified in your life destructive habits, hurts, hang-ups in your life, I want you to know that you're not alone. We are here to help you. We have a lot of great resources. There are a, a number of wonderful people that are here to come alongside you, to meet with you. I want you to go right now. Right this moment, if you've identified destructive hurts, habits, or hangups in your life, go to our website, belair.org forward slash care. There are so many resources right then and there. You can sign up, you can participate, you can reach out, and we will respond to you. You are not alone. Would you prayerfully consider being used by God? Would you prayerfully consider being used by God in the fullness of your experience? to champion hope, and to carry hope, to use your experiences as an offering for the sake of someone else. See, as Bel Air Church, I pray that we wouldn't hide our hurts, that we wouldn't cover up our destructive habits, that we wouldn't ignore our hangups, but that we might become hope carriers, champions of hope, that we might be the Brett Lewis's, the Ananias's, for someone else, that we might champion and carry hope to the life of another. So you have a unique story. You have a story filled with multiple experiences, things that we might label our greatest hurts, some of life's most ugliest moments. In fact, most of these ugly moments, like we had very little control over, if any at all. Experiences, whether emotional, physical, relational, or spiritual, abuse and abandonment, experiences that involve health issues and heartbreaks, out of our greatest hurts, oftentimes comes our greatest ministry. See, out of our greatest hurts, oftentimes comes our greatest ministry. There isn't one experience in your life that God will allow to go to waste. Followers of Jesus, look, we are not immune to the ugly of life. Neither was the Apostle Paul. Listen to this account from the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 8, verses 18. Paul says, I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory about to be revealed to us. I want to stop there. This might be one of the most heartless things to say if Paul didn't understand suffering. See, Paul understood the ugliness of life, he understood the ugliness that is suffering. In 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 24 through 30, Paul says, five times I have received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. Five times. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I received a stoning. You are not expected to ever come back from a stoning, but he came back from a stoning. Three times he was shipwrecked. For a night and a day, I was adrift at sea on frequent journeys in danger from rivers, danger from bandits, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers and sisters, in toil and hardship through many sleepless nights. I was hungry and thirsty, often without food, cold And naked. And besides other things, I am under daily pressure because of my anxiety for all the churches. Who is weak? Am I not weak? Paul says. Who is made to stumble? Am I not indignant? But if I must boast, I will boast of the things that show my weakness. Paul says he is going to boast. Of the things that show his weakness, yet these aren't the things that we often post about. These aren't the things that we, you know, uh, we don't TikTok our bad, we don't Instagram our ugly. I mean, although that is becoming a thing a little bit more these days, right? There's that whole "be real" that we're just wanting to be real with each other, but oftentimes, no, we are posting our good, and we try to hide and cover up and ignore the bad and the ugly that is life. But as Christians, if we only post about our strengths that we've made stronger, then we don't leave room for our weaknesses that cause other people to reflect in awe and wonder. We have to make room for our weaknesses that cause others to awe and wonder at what God is doing in your life, through your life. See, we all have weaknesses. We all have the good, the bad, and the ugly in our lives. But if we hide it, if we cover it up, if we ignore that it doesn't exist, the hurts that we've done or the hurts that have been done to us, when ignored, they they mess up our lives. They wreck our relationships. It hinders us from our purpose, and it holds us back from hope. See, the Apostle Paul knows this. Paul is not a superhuman He's not even a super Christian. He is a human being just like you and me. He's a Christian, follower of Jesus, just like you and me. A real human being following Jesus and has experienced the good, the bad, and the ugly of life. And when Paul boasts, he boasts about his imprisonment and persecutions, about being kidnapped and beaten, threatened and arrested, accused, interrogated, ridiculed, ignored, shipwrecked, cold, naked, hungry, thirsty, and sleep-deprived. Like, I appreciate that he included (laughs) sleep-deprived. I'm like, oh, cool, that's one on the list that I can actually relate to. But in all the ways that might relate to our struggle, Paul says, I understand. This is a human being that says, we know, the same human being that we, he says, we know that God works all things. All these things, the good, the bad, and ugly things, God works all these things for good. Oh man, I've had such a hard time with when he says that. Because I've often thought that Paul's comment would negate my suffering. That Paul's comment somehow minimizes my pain, but it doesn't. It doesn't minimize it. It's meant to offer hope. Hope from someone who knows. Paul knows. And it's hope for someone in need. And we need hope from one who has suffered before you. Hope from one who is willing to suffer with you. Hope from one who knows suffering and hope from one who shares in your suffering. Have you ever battled cancer? Maybe, have you ever overcome alcoholism? Have you ever healed from a divorce? Have you ever, like, bounced back from rock bottom? Have you ever had any of these experiences? If you can relate with someone else's pain, then would you share your story and would you champion hope? And if someone's sharing their story with you and it's, it's a story that you cannot relate with, would you engage, would you enter into their story and would you carry hope for them? See, the problem is, church, we often try and champion and carry hope without being willing to engage the suffering of another. See, whether it's our own or someone else's, see whether we learn like it's a cancer diagnosis and we often respond quickly saying, well, God's gonna work this out for good. Have you ever heard that? Like you share something, oh, God's gonna work that out for good. Someone shares financial hardship and we respond, God's gonna work that out for good. Someone shares experiences of of a debilitating injury and we respond with God's gonna work that out for good. God's gonna work this out for good. God doesn't send us into their life to say this. God sends us to engage their suffering. Paul can say, We know that God works all things, all these things for good. Why can Paul say this? Because he is part of the we. He's part of the we. He's engaged his own suffering and he's entered into the suffering of others and he is. Carrying hope. He is championing hope, not as one who doesn't understand, but as one who deeply understands and believes. Can you be that for someone else? Can you engage your own suffering? Can you engage your own hurts, habits, and hang ups? Can you engage the suffering of another and champion hope? Carry hope for them. See, Paul knows suffering, Paul knows weakness. And all of this, Paul knows hope. Because on the road to Damascus, Paul encountered the one who is hope, hope who knows suffering, hope who knows our weakness, hope who can relate in every way to our human experience. This hope is not a principle. This hope is a person. Jesus is hope personified. Do you know this hope? Do you know this Jesus? Jesus, who is our hope, carries all of our suffering to the cross and does something so unexpected. He carries all the things, the good, the bad, and the ugly, all the ways that sin has tried to use to exploit humanity for evil. That's what sin is trying to do. Sin is trying to to come up with all the ways to exploit you and I for evil. And what does Jesus do? Instead of evil exploiting us, Jesus exploits evil. I love it. He takes the fullness of our experiences to the cross and transforms them and uses them for God's good purposes. And Jesus wants to do the same thing for you today. Jesus wants to take the fullness of who you are, your shape, your spiritual gifts and heart, your abilities, your personality, and your experiences, the good, the bad, and the ugly. God wants to take all of that. Jesus wants to take all these things and continue to form you. God wants to not just form you, Jesus wants to transform you on purpose and for purpose. God has shaped you and me, remember, he's shaped you and me to be awesome and wonderful. This is who you are. But we aren't shaped for nothing. No, we are shaped on purpose, for purpose. God wants to take all of who we are and if we are willing, God wants to use us for God's good purposes. So the question, the question we have to ask ourselves today, am I willing, am I willing to allow God to use the fullness of my shape, all of who I am? God, would you use me for your good purposes? That includes my experiences, the good, the bad, and the ugly. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you that you do not stand so far removed from us, but that you enter in in the person of Jesus Christ, and you experience what it means to be human in every way. You know suffering, and yet you embody hope. Jesus, would you take our lives, the way in which we have been shaped by you, would you take all of our experiences, the good, the bad, and the ugly, And Jesus, we place those experiences in your hands because we ask that you would continue to do that shaping work, that you would form us, mold us, shape us, and then use us. Use us for your good purposes in the world. We pray these things because, Jesus, we want you to receive glory. So it's in your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. We believe in this so much as a church that we want to give you an opportunity right now to pull out your cell phone. I know that sounds odd, but pull out your cell phone. Yes, it's right next to you. (laughs) Pull it out and scan the QR code that's on the screen, because we have this opportunity for you to discover your shape, to discover your spiritual gifts, your heart, what what your what your abilities are, what God has how God has shaped you and your personality, and to discover all of your experiences, to discover the fullness of who you are, your shape. We want to help you learn how God has shaped you, so that we can then help you and activate your life into God's good purposes in the world. Now, this assessment is completely free. You just got to go to belair.org forward slash shape. And you have to register. And once you register, you're going to be able to access the assessment. And the assessment is going to be for you. It's going to be for you to discover how God has shaped you to celebrate it. There's going to be so much joy in discovering your shape of like, whoa, God, you're right. I am wonderful. I am awesomely made. You have made me in incredible ways. You get to discover that. And not only discover it, but you get to share it. I'd encourage you to take the assessment right now, today. Don't skip. Do it today. And once you discover your shape, would you reflect on it? Would you thank God for who you are, and then would you share it? And then pray, God, would you use the fullness, the fullness of how you shape me? Every single way, every aspect of my being, would you use me for your good purposes? Could that be your prayer today? All right. So do that. Take the assessment today. Now let's continue in worship together.